0: Welcome to another night of warrior reads as always make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived, or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head, and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Doug Adams. This is a funny but inspiring tale about a guy that isn't special or particularly heroic and doesn't have it all together in any sense, but somehow makes it along an unfathomable adventure and wrestles with the absurdity and vastness of the galaxy. From outer space, the world looks pretty small. And this story reminds us that the grand picture of the universe in our lifetime. Maybe your biggest problems don't have to stay that way. Arthur Dent is a 30-something-year-old man living in the UK. And he wakes up hungover to find a demolition crew is outside his house preparing to tear it down. Because the city wants to install a new Bypass. Supposedly, the warning for the demolition and plans for the bypass were posted in Town Hall, and the foreman tells him that he should have looked and that he should have protested then. Arthur is outmanned and protests the demolition by laying in front of the bulldozer. Just then, Arthur's odd friend, Ford, appears and tells him that he needs to talk with him and arranges for someone else to take his place in front of the bulldozer. He then takes him to a bar where he tells Arthur that the end of the world is coming in 15 minutes. Arthur doesn't realize that Ford is actually an alien and Earth is really going to be ending shortly, but Ford has plans for both of them to escape. Eventually, a whole galactic demolition crew shows up in the atmosphere of earth and announces to the people of earth that the demolition will commence in a few moments and they should have looked at the posted proposal for the galactic highway a couple of light years away. Eventually, the earth is destroyed and Ford takes Arthur on some goofy but perilous adventures throughout the galaxy by hitchhiking with nothing but his towel and his book. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. Not only does it help calm any existential angst that you might have, but it's just a fun story. But it reminds us of the adventures that come in life and how we don't have to take everything so seriously Even when it's the end of the world. You work hard to be the best you. You master your craft. You work hard to be a leader. You get gains in the gym. You show courage and challenges come. And you rise above them. But as Elon Musk says, Life has to be more than about solving problems. There have to be things that inspire you. In other words, you gotta have fun. How much better of an experience is it to fight while you have fun and make your victories in life look easy? As you let go of the day, you might wish to look at some of your own recent trials from the perspective of 50,000 light years away. Maybe your problems will seem a little less intense Maybe a bit more absurd or even kind of funny. Maybe not now, but perhaps eventually. Winning is better when you're having a laugh too. Let's dive into a different world where the earth is just one pit stop on a ride through the galaxy. So relax and enjoy. Far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small, unregarded yellow sun. Orbiting this at a distance of roughly 92 million miles is an utterly insignificant little blue-green planet whose eight descendant life forms are so amazingly primitive that they still think digital watches are pretty neat this planet has, or rather had, a problem. Which was this. Most of the people on it were unhappy for pretty much most of the time. Many solutions were suggested for this problem, but most of these were largely concerned with the movements of small green pieces of paper. Which is odd, because on the whole, it wasn't the small green pieces of paper that were unhappy. And so the problem remained. Lots of the people were mean, and most of them were miserable. Even the ones with digital watches. Many were increasingly of the opinion that they'd all made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place. And some said that even the trees had been a bad move, and that no one should have ever left the oceans. And then, one Thursday, nearly 2,000 years After one man had been nailed to a tree for saying how great it would be to be nice to people for a change, one girl sitting on her own in a small cafe in Rickmansworth suddenly realized what it was that had been going wrong all this time, and she finally knew how the world could be made a good and happy place. This time it was right. It would work, and no one would have to get nailed to anything. Sadly, however, before she could get to a phone to tell anyone about it, a terribly stupid catastrophe occurred, and the idea was lost forever. But this is not her story. But it is the story of that terrible, stupid catastrophe and some of its consequences. It is also the story of a book, a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, not an Earth book, never published on Earth, and until that terrible catastrophe occurred, never seen or heard of by an Earthman. Nevertheless, a wholly remarkable book. Not only a remarkable book, it is also a highly successful one. Better selling than 50 more things to do in zero gravity. And more controversial than Ulon, Colfid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters. Where God went wrong were more of God's greatest mistakes. And who is this God person anyway? In many more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, The Hitchhiker's Guide has already supplanted the great encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository for all knowledge and wisdom. For though it has many omissions, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important respects. First, it's slightly cheaper. And secondly, it has the words Don't Panic inscribed in large friendly letters on its cover. The story of this terrible, stupid Thursday, the story of its extraordinary consequences, and the story of how these consequences are inextricably intertwined with its remarkable book, begins very simply. It begins with a house. On this particular Thursday, something was moving quietly through the ionosphere, many miles above the surface of the planet. Several somethings, in fact. Several dozen huge, yellow, chunky, slab like somethings. They soared with ease, basking in electromagnetic waves from the soul. The planet beneath them was almost perfectly oblivious of their presence, which was just how they wanted it for the moment. The huge, yellow somethings went unnoticed. The only place they registered at all was on a small black device. Called the Sub Etha Sensomatic, which winked away quietly to itself. It nestled in the darkness inside of a leather satchel, which Ford Perfect wore habitually around his neck. The contents of Ford Perfect's satchel were quite interesting, in fact, and would have made any Earth physicist's eyes pop out of his head. Which is why he always concealed them by keeping a couple dog-eared scripts for plays he pretended. That he was auditioning for stuffed on top beneath that and ford perfect satchel were a few pens a notepad and a largish bath towel the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy has a few things to say on the subject of bath towels a towel it says is about the most massively useful thing an interstellar hitchhiker can have partly it has a great practical value You can wrap it around you for warmth, as you bound across the cold moons of Yaglon Beta. You can sleep under it, beneath the stars which shine so readily on the desert world of Kraftifoon. Wet it and use it for hand-to-hand combat. Use it for a distress signal. And of course, dry yourself off with it, if it seems to be clean enough. More importantly, a towel has immense psychological value. For some reason, if a stragg, a non-hitchhiker, discovers that a hitchhiker has a towel with him, what the strag will think is that any man who can hitch the length and breadth of the galaxy, rough it, slum it, struggle against the terrible odds, win through and still know where his towel is, clearly is a man to be reckoned with. Nestling quietly, on top of the towel and Ford Perfect satchel, the sub began to wink more quickly. Miles above the surface of the planet, the huge yellow somethings began to fan out. Uh, do you got a towel with you? said Ford Perfect suddenly to Arthur. Arthur, struggling through his third pint, looked around him. Why? What? No. Should I have? He had given up being surprised. There didn't seem to be any point any longer. Ford clicked his tongue in irritation. "Uh, drink up, he urged. At that moment, the dull sound of a rumbling crash from outside filtered through the low murmur of the pub. Through the sound of the jukebox. Through the sound of the man next to Ford hiccuping over the whiskey. Arthur choked on his beer, leapt to his feet. "'What is that?' he yelped. "'Uh, don't worry,' said Ford. "'They haven't started yet.' "'Thank God for that,' said Arthur, and relaxed. "'It's probably just your house being knocked down,' said Ford, drowning his last pint. "'What?' shouted Arthur. Suddenly Ford's spell was broken. Arthur looked wildly around him and ran to the window. "'My God, they are!' They're knocking down my house. What the hell am I doing in a pub, Ford?" It hardly makes any difference at this stage, said Ford. Let them have their fun. Their fun? Yelped Arthur. Fun? He quickly checked out of the window again, and they were talking about the same thing. Damn, their fun, he shouted, and ran out of the pub furiously waving a nearly empty beer glass. He made no friends at all in the pub that lunchtime. Stop, you vandals, you home wreckers! brawled Arthur. You have crazed viscals, stop, will you? So right now, Arthur's watching this whole world collapse. His house is being demolished, and there isn't anything he can do about it he's unable to recognize the magnitude of the impending doom that's headed towards the entire Earth. Maybe it's something you can relate to, in a sense. Maybe you didn't hit your goal at work last week. Or you find yourself thinking about something silly you said the other day, and you catch yourself overthinking it. Or maybe you're facing bigger, real issues that change your life totally. Like an injury or a relationship shift that you're not sure how to handle. Whatever it is, in the grand scheme of things, in the perspective of the rest of your life, you know that you'll make it out. You are the hero of your own story, and you always make it out in the end. You don't have to miss the giant fleet of aliens approaching to destroy the Earth because you were too busy focusing on your problems. Let's continue back at the bar. Ford would have to go after him. Turning quickly to the barman, he asked for four packets of peanuts. There you are, sir, said the barman, slapping the packets on the bar. 28 pence, if you'd be so kind. Ford was very kind. He gave the barman another five-pound note told him to keep the change. The barman looked at it, and then looked at Ford. He suddenly shivered. The experience, a momentary sensation that he didn't understand because no one on Earth had ever experienced it before. In moments of great stress, every life form that exists gives out a tiny subliminal signal. This signal simply communicates an exact, almost pathetic sense of how far that being is from the place of his birth. On Earth, it is never possible to be further than 16,000 miles away from your birthplace, which really isn't very far, so such signals are too minute to be noticed. Ford Perfect was at this moment under great stress, and he was born 600,000 light years away near the vicinity of Betelgeuse. The barman reeled for a moment, hit by a shocking, incomprehensible sense of distance. He didn't know what it meant, but he looked at Ford perfect, with a new sense of respect, almost awe. "'Are you serious, sir?' he said in a small whisper, which had the effect of silencing the pub. "'You think the world's gonna end?' "'Uh, yes,' said Ford. But, this afternoon, Ford had recovered himself. He was at his flippest. Yes, he said gaily, in less than two minutes, I would estimate. The barman couldn't believe the conversation he was having, but he couldn't believe the sensation that he had either. Isn't there anything we can do about it then? He said. No, nothing, said Ford. "'stuffing the peanuts into his pockets. "'Someone in the hushed bar suddenly laughed raucously at how stupid everyone had become. "'The man sitting next to Ford was a bit sozzled by now. "'His eyes waved their way up to Ford. "'I thought,' he said, "'I thought that if the war was going to end, "'we were meant to lie down "'and put paper bags over our heads or something.' If you like," said Ford. Ask what they told us to do in the army," said the man. His eyes began the long trek back down to his whiskey. Will that help? Asked the barman. No, said Ford, and gave him a friendly smile. Excuse me, he said. I've got to go. The barman cleared his throat. He heard him say, Last orders, please. The huge yellow machines began to sink downward and move faster. Ford knew they were there. This wasn't the way he'd wanted it. Running up the lane, Arthur had nearly reached his house. He didn't notice how cold it had suddenly become. He didn't notice the wind. He didn't notice the sudden, irrational squall of rain. He didn't notice anything but the caterpillar bulldozers crawling over the rubble that had been his home. You barbarians, he yelled. I'll sue the council for every penny it's got. I'll have you hung, drawn and quartered. Ford was running after him very fast. Arthur didn't notice that the men were running from the bulldozers. He didn't notice that Mr. Poser Foreman was staring hectically, into the sky. What Mr. Poser had noticed was that large yellow somethings were screaming through the clouds Arthur tripped and fell headlong and rolled and landed flat on his back at last he noticed that something was going on his finger shot upwards what the hell is that he shrieked whatever it was raced across the sky in monstrous yellowness tore the sky apart with mind buggering noise, and leapt off into the distance, leaving a gaping air to shut behind it with a bang that drove your ears six feet into your skull. It's difficult to say exactly what the people on the surface of the planet were doing now, because they didn't really know what they were doing themselves. None of it made a lot of sense, some running into houses, running out of houses, howling noiselessly at the noise. All around the world, city streets exploded with people. Cars slewed into each other. As the noise fell on them and rolled off like a tidal wave over the hills and valleys, deserts and oceans seemed to flatten everything it hit. Only one man stood and watched the sky, stood with terrible sadness in his eyes and rubber bungs in his ears. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And he had known ever since the sub-ethosensomatic had started winking in the dead of the night, beside his pillar, and woken him with a start. It was what he had waited for all those years. But when he had deciphered the signal pattern, sitting alone in a small dark room, a coldness that gripped him and squeezed his heart, of all the races in the galaxy who could have come and said a big hello to the planet Earth. He thought, didn't it just have to be the Vagons? Still, he knew what he had to do. Everything was ready. Everything was prepared. He knew where his towel was. A sudden silence hit the Earth. If anything, it was worse than the noise. For a while, nothing happened. The great ships hung motionless in the air over the nations of the earth. Motionless they hung. Huge, heavy, steady in the sky. A blasphemy against nature. Many people went straight into shock as their minds tried to encompass what they were looking at. The ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. And still nothing happened. What could you possibly do in this situation? You're on the way to work, and a giant alien craft shows up and just sits there. Of course, you don't panic, warriors don't panic. But if the Earth is ending right then, there really isn't much you could do that would help. Luckily, we haven't had to face any alien invasions or nuclear winters, and The trials that you have faced in life already, you've overcome. The ones you're about to face, you will take head on and be victorious again. But the end of the world is coming for everyone eventually. And you know this, which is why you work so hard to make every day worth living. You practice courage. You build your strength. You master the moment, and practice gratitude, and let the good in, and work to live life well, so that when the end of the world does come to you, you know that what you did in this whole life thing was great, you did it the right way, and you can embrace it for what it is in peace. Maybe you calmly watch, or you call your mom or meditate. Whatever it is you do, you do it well. Even when you only have two minutes until the Earth explodes. Let's continue. Then there was a light whisper, a sudden spacious whisper of open ambient sound. Every hi-fi set in the world, every radio, every television every cassette recorder, every woofer, every tweeter, every tin can or metal plate would quietly turn itself on and project the sound. Before the earth passed away, it was going to be treated to a very ultimate in sound production, the greatest public address system ever built. But there was no concert, no music, no fanfare, just a simple message. Ah, uh, people of Earth, your attention, please," a voice said. It was wonderful, wonderful, perfect quadraphonic sound with distortion levels so low to make a brave man weep. And this is, uh, Prostnik Gelts of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council," the voice continued. As you will no doubt be aware, The plans for development of the outlying regions of the galaxy require the building of a hyperspatial express route through your star system. And regrettably, your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. The process will take slightly less than two of your Earth minutes. Thank you. The PA died away uncomprehending terror settled on the watching people of Earth. Observing this, the Vogons turned on the PA again and said, There's no point in acting all surprised about it. All the planning charts and demolition orders have been on display at your local planning department on Alpha Centauri. For fifty of your Earth years. So you've had plenty of time to lodge any formal complaint and it's far too late to start making a fuss about it now. The PA fell silent again and its echo drifted across the land. The huge ship slowly turned in the sky with easy power. On the underside of each of the hatchway it opened in an empty black space. By this time somebody somewhere must have manned a radio transmitter located at wavelength and broadcasted a message back to the Volgon ships to plead on behalf of the planet. Nobody ever heard what they said, they only heard the reply. The PA slammed back to life again. The voice, annoyed, said, What do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? "'For heaven's sake, mankind, it's only four light-years away, you know. "'I'm sorry, but if you can't be bothered to take an interest in local affairs, "'that is your own lookout.' "'Energize the demolition beams.' "'Light poured out of the hatchways. "'I don't know,' said the voice in the PA. "'Apathetic, bloody planet.' I have no sympathy at all. It cut off. There was a terrible, ghastly silence. There was a terrible, ghastly noise. And there was a terrible, ghastly silence. The Vogon Constructor Fleet coasted away into the inky, starry void. From this point out, Arthur and Ford had hitched a ride on the ship of the bureaucratic planning commission aliens sent to demolish earth. From there, they explore the galaxy and run into all kinds of goofy adventures, and this story highlights just how something so incredibly awful can still lend itself to a funny story. Sometimes it's difficult to see the humor or bright side of things when you're really in the thick of it. But in hindsight, looking back on challenges, it's a lot better to look at it from the perspective of, man, I I made it through, I'm here. That was hilarious. Or if you do find yourself in the midst of a challenge, relying on that inner strength of the warrior can get you through it, and you can have fun while doing it. You know that you'll make it out. You know that this is just one more battle that you're going to win, just like you've won all the others. And knowing who you are gives you strength. It's way more fun to clown on the other team and have a blast while he put points up on the board.